Hello and welcome to another episode of Broke Bitch Anonymous. I'm going to keep this short tonight, people, because it is currently Sunday night. And full disclosure, I already recorded this episode this morning, which isn't an accomplishment at all because it's fucking Sunday. And that's the last day I gave myself to put an episode out. And I legitimately put this off every single day this week. I always found an excuse I think it's one of the main reasons I even started gardening. I think I was just looking for outs, for excuses, for something. So anyway, I already recorded this episode, but something in me was telling me we can do better. And I think the reason we can do better is that this is my first ever time alone in the studio using the equipment alone and I've already had several technical malfunctions I know a microphone and a preamp and whatever recording software people use it's not complicated 13 year olds who record themselves in their closets can figure it out okay so I'm gonna figure it out I think I have right now it does sound like I'm yelling so I'm gonna see if I can figure that out but I'm just gonna try and make this as not insufferable as possible for you guys. And I realized as I was recording this morning, it's not necessarily that the quality was bad, like the audio quality and shit. I mean, it wasn't as bad as the last two times. I just want to issue a public apology for the last two episodes and the way that the audio sounded in headphones. If you listened on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I'm so sorry I was really upset. I didn't know that that happened, that it pretty much sounded like there was, you know, I was in one ear and the guest was in the other ear. Obviously, that's not how podcasts are supposed to sound. It's supposed to just sound like a song, like we're both speaking from the same headphones. Like it's not like there's one person on one shoulder and another person on the other shoulder talking to you. So just a disaster. And I mean, I obviously hired a producer to avoid situations like this. Can't win them all. (laughs) You cannot win them all. And at the same time, you know, it's expensive to be hiring a producer all the time. And I knew I wasn't going to be doing it all the time. I just can't justify it right now. This podcast, I mean, sponsor us. But it's just, I can't. I can't do it all the time. So, and then even though I wanted to do it again, I'm like, damn, and you fucked up the audio. So I'm just, I can't. I'm so upset. I'm so upset. So I'm sorry. So anyway, the audio at least sounded better on the other episode, but still I was talking about some very sensitive, some sensitive subject matter in a way. And I think I was leaning a little too hard into the Joe Rogan side of things. And I don't really want to sound like a wannabe Joe Rogan or like a pandering anti-vaxxer or something like that which I know is probably what some people already want to label me as but I do want to talk about health today it's something that obviously has been very uh, relevant to my life recently but in a very different way than it usually has been and as I say that I am sitting in my I guess studio, but I'm in my fucking house. I'm not wearing pants right now, full disclosure, because it's 100 degrees in my house. It is so hot today. There's, I think, I mean, there, it must be a heat wave, but 
can you even call it a heat wave if you already know that this shit is just going to last for for weeks? I mean, this it's going to be like this all summer for the most part. And it's already been hot. It was just so hot today. But I'm too cheap to turn the air conditioning on. So um, could I just turn it on and, and live a more comfortable existence? Yes, I could. Will I turn it on? Probably not yet. Probably not yet. I don't know what is wrong with me mentally. Maybe it's the fact that my mother never turned the air conditioning on when I was growing up. And now, even though I can afford air conditioning, like I just can't bring myself to do it. Broke habits die hard. Actually, a friend of mine moved in with me a couple weeks ago for a little bit. She's staying in one of my guest rooms. And she's like, it's so hot, Claudia. Like, can you please turn the air conditioning on? I'm so hot. I'm like, okay, fine. Because I don't want to seem like some kind of like air conditioning Hitler. So I'll turn it on. So I turn the stupid thing on the whole time. I'm like, my pockets feel like they're bleeding. But I turned it on because I'm a good host. And, you know, I don't want to seem like that fucking cheap. And it just, I was so upset because she didn't even turn close her windows. You can't. You can't turn the air conditioning on and leave your windows open. I mean, come on. You got to pick one. We're not multi-millionaires here. I'm not Bill Gates, okay? Like, I'm not fucking Jeff Bezos. If I'm turning the AC on, we're closing the windows. It's one or the other. So anyway, I'm still traumatized <laughs> from that experience. I don't want to know what my electricity bill is going to be. Because by the way, electricity, the cost of electricity doubles pretty much in the summer. It gets more expensive. I guess they know people are going to be blasting their air conditioning just you know for some sense of comfort and oh my god excuse me you guys are also gonna have to excuse me because as much as I may have figured out how to make the audio sound relatively okay at least I'm praying I think I have and figured out how to use this equipment and I'm not recording on my phone for once um I still don't really know how to edit properly with this stuff I and I just don't want to do it yet I don't really want to learn so I'm not this is gonna be this is fully uncut raw okay there's no edits normally I would edit out the coughs and my dumb moments where I forget what the fuck I want to say but I'm not doing that here so we're probably gonna have a couple very uncomfortable (laughs) silences I'm just kidding we're just gonna go because listen the only thing that might be uncomfortable is me sipping a bubbly sparkling water from a straw because um I don't know why I like that I like the super aggressive bubbles but anyway listen up people yes it's 100 degrees but that's not the point the point is that earlier today and this is what initially encouraged me to finally sit my ass down and record I went to check my mail already getting the mail is a whole ordeal because I don't know why my mailbox is like a mile away from my I mean it's not a mile but it's it's not close to my house I have to like go on an excursion to go check my mail so I go to the mailbox and you know it's the standard garbage and there's a bill for me I'm like oh goody it's a it's a new there's a new bill from a new company I don't know what the fuck this is but it turned out that it was a bill for $800 from blood work that I just had done for my pregnancy excuse me one more time Okay, we're good. It was a bill for blood work. I got two bills for recent blood work that I had done. One was for $800 and one was for $200. And the thing that upset me the most about it was that my doctor told me it would only be an extra $100 for the tests that she wanted to do on me, which were not mandatory. They're not required. The only 
maternal test that is required, at least in Georgia, by state law, is that you have to be tested for syphilis. That's fine. I also would like to know, I would like to make sure I don't have syphilis. I understand. But beyond that, everything is elective, allegedly. They say that if you opt out of the other tests, which are pretty much, you know, the gamut of STD testing, plus testing your blood for immunity to certain diseases, testing your blood for pretty much like they can pull up a whole vaccination history from just testing your antibodies to certain things, testing your fucking platelet count, like everything. I'm taught everything. And the more you go down the rabbit hole of the things they want to test for, they will test for every disease under the sun, which is what they tested me for because I really didn't know what I was agreeing to. It was just branded to me as like, if we don't do this now, we're going to have to test your baby. And that sucks for a newborn. Like we don't want to have to take their blood. So why don't we just test you? It's safer. It's just the smart thing to do. And how could you say no to that? Okay, I'll agree. But when you look at all the things they're testing for, it's really deep and it's a little bit, well, it's a lot heavy handed. And as much as I know I agreed to it, I kind of felt like a deer caught in the headlights. Like I just didn't know what I was doing. And I just was surprised that while I'm a healthy person, I've never had knock on wood, any history of serious disease or illness. I, you know, have no reason to think I might have a serious disease or illness. I was surprised that they wanted to test for absolutely everything and then test for different chromosomal abnormalities for both me and my baby and all this stuff like and and it does give you a sense of anxiety before you even get hit with the bill because again I was told it was going to be a hundred dollars so it rationally made sense I'm like okay a hundred dollars and I get all of this stuff out of the way it I didn't even know how much stuff they were going to be testing for but I was like it's just get it out of the way now and I don't have to deal with it but once you realize what they're testing for which is like everything from down syndrome to really rare diseases to like your T cell count your white blood cell count which kind of pretty much screens for like different types of cancers like so many different things it does give you a little bit of anxiety when you're in the waiting time period for your test results because you're like damn like I was thinking you know damn I mean I don't have a history of down syndrome or any sort of like developmental disorders in my family. But, you know, what if I get test positive for it? Like morally, what do you do? Do you get an abortion? Because you, you know, you know, your kid is going to have a very difficult life. Do you not? Obviously, it's a very personal decision. Obviously, it's a very emotionally charged decision. But the weirdest part about the whole thing is that even though they test for all of these things, thank God all of mine were negative. So I I kind of just wasted $1,000, but I mean, I haven't paid the bill yet. And frankly, I'm in no rush to do it because I didn't know it was going to be this much. And uh, I have some questions, but beyond the anxiety of the price after you get hit with it, which I'm realizing now in fucking modern medicine, there will always be a much higher price than you thought there was going to be in every way possible. Beyond that, there's such a level of anxiety of like, well, it just starts to breed all these what ifs that never, at least to me, existed before. And I, I just feel like when you are pregnant for the first time, there is so much you don't know. Even if you, I mean, 
I don't know. I, I don't, I've never studied to be a doula or something like that. But I would imagine, and I would even make the argument that even if you have spent, you know, a lot of time researching and reading about and educating yourself on pregnancy and childbirth, I think there's an argument to be made that you still don't even exactly know what you are talking about for yourself because you haven't been through it because it's so different for every person. And as much as you can arm yourself with, with as much knowledge as possible, it is a very intimidating kind of scary position to be in when you're doing it for the first time. There's so much you don't know. You realize that your body reacts differently to things than other people. You realize that certain symptoms that other people had don't apply to you and that you've had other, you've had symptoms that other people haven't. You just, there's so much going on. And I feel like as I have been forced to confront this medical establishment, which at first I felt so lucky to have to confront because I'm like, damn, I found a really good OBGYN. I'm going to a really good hospital. You know, I'm going to have the right care, even though I don't want any like medical major medical intervention. I guess nobody really wants it, but like, I don't want to have any sort of scheduled C, none of that. I don't want any of that. I'm not going to a hospital because I want them to help me. I'm going to a hospital because I pray they don't have to help me. And it's just pretty much insurance to have them in the background. But even though in the beginning I, I did feel grateful and I felt relieved. And even though they had quoted me an initial cost of $5,000, that was a kind of a front to back charge of everything, all the, the visits before, including labor, everything, which was a very high fee, but also I could rationalize it. And it was something that I was prepared to pay for the peace of mind that comes from knowing you have the right care even though I felt lucky then, and that was only about a month ago, now, every time I go to the doctor's office and I have to go back tomorrow morning because I have another full screening and another full checkup. I mean, I don't know what they think I'm doing in my spare time, like shooting up heroin or I don't, I don't know. I, I guess it's good again to be overly cautious, but at the same time, it feels like every time I go to the doctor's office, they're just looking for ways to make money off of me like I'm a fucking cow waddling in and they're just looking for other opportunities to like milk it in some way I know that's kind of a gross example but that's how it's starting to feel and while I've already spent well with this blood work so there was that thousand dollars then the first visit I had was $600 for like pretty much nothing, honestly. It was just like an introduction. The doctor didn't tell me anything about basic nutrition in terms of pregnancy, nothing about prenatal vitamins, nothing about exercise, nothing about anything, literally nothing about anything. All she really told me was like, what book I should read, which felt really depressing, to be honest. It's not that I'm against the book. Like, I'll maybe read it. But the fact that I just paid $600 for information that effectively could have been 
given to me through a $20 Amazon purchase. And I would have had to say, I would have been able to save like the hour waiting in the waiting room and paying for parking, which they make you pay for every time you go, which is crazy to me because I'm spending thousands of dollars and I still have to pay for parking. But not to be petty, but it's just like at a certain point you start looking around and you're like, what are we really doing here? I mean, I'm so grateful to be healthy and I'm, I thank you for the peace of mind that the blood work gave me in a sense. I guess I'm saying thank you to my doctor. I don't know. But there is a part of me that, well, I'm honestly like on the brink of dropping out of the whole hospital institution program pregnancy schedule, I think. Because as I continue to look down the line of the schedule that they put you on, for OBGYN visits during pregnancy, I see so many red flags. And I apologize if you're not pregnant and you have no intentions of ever becoming pregnant. If this is boring to you, I think for some people, even maybe for guys, like for fathers, future fathers, maybe it's relevant because it's just we are as patients questioned and like reprimanded and made to seem and sound like idiots if we question what's going on in a medical institution like my doctor already makes me feel I think like my whole the whole office makes me feel like a second class citizen because I didn't take the COVID vaccine I have to literally answer a whole other like check-in sheet every time I go Um, They make me recheck that I'm still not COVID vaccinated every time I go. Even the visitors, they have signs that say one vaccinated visitor per guest is allowed. All of these different things. And I guess, I mean, my doctor didn't really force the vaccine down my throat. I think she can tell that I'm stubborn and I've made my mind up. But when you look at the scheduling of everything else that they want to do to you, it's hard to just agree completely, at least for me, because when I'm realizing everything comes at an extra cost, at a, at a very high extra cost, and also a lot of it, if you're healthy, and this is where I know I'm going to get some eye rolls, but bear with me here, a lot of it when you're healthy, I don't believe is as necessary as it's made to seem. Like, I've heard stories of women being told, well, your baby will die if you don't get this, you know, test or this booster injection or this stuff. And even for me, I asked them because I don't want to do this thing called a glucose test where you pretty much chug a really, really, really sugary beverage called, it's like glucola or something. And it has, well, the first one has 50 milligrams of sugar. The next one, or maybe the first one has 100 milligrams of sugar excuse me, regardless, it has a lot of sugar in it and they make you chug it within a five minute window and then you have to wait an hour and then they take your blood and they just want to see if you don't have gestational diabetes. So if your body can handle the blood sugar, I don't want to do that test. I'm pretty confident, almost 99%. I don't have gestational diabetes I've never had a history of anything like that. 
I don't want to drink that nasty ass drink, which literally looks like poison and probably will give you diabetes if nothing else. I'm very confident in my diet and like my lifestyle that it's not going to magically lead to diabetes overnight. I understand the glycemic index. I understand how to eat properly. Like maybe if I was going over going like with all of my doctor's recommendations, I should be worried about gestational diabetes because there's just been such a lack of resources, but I don't want to take the test. And even in that, the, the lady who was scheduling me for it, she's like, well, don't you want to know if your child has gestational diabetes? Like you could be really sick. And it's in some sense, like I understand that reaction, but in another sense, shouldn't we have a little bit more sympathy and understanding for pregnant women, for mothers, especially people who are in their first pregnancy, that they might have some questions? Because every question that I personally have had, and I'm legitimately going to one of the best allegedly OBGYN clinic slash hospitals in the state. So you'd think they would be responsive to me. But honestly, every question I've really had and every hesitation has just been completely overlooked and dismissed. And then they just bill you a few thousand dollars whenever they feel like it, which they're pretty much just billing back to themselves. I mean, the whole system of how hospitals and doctors are allowed to bill you is <laughs> it's so beyond even insanity or comprehension that it's actually just feels like it's a waste of breath to even talk about, but it's so real that we have to address it. I regret that I haven't been aware of this sooner. I've had medical bills in the past, but honestly, I've been pretty healthy and I've never ran into any major problems. The the biggest problem I ever had was a medical a hospital bill that they charged me a thousand dollars for some blood tests. And I thought that was really stupid, but I also went to some bougie ER that it was like a, some, it was, it wasn't a regular ER. It wasn't, you know, you go to the ER like Grady or something. It wasn't that. And for anyone not in Atlanta, Grady is like the, the hospital. I mean, it's the major trauma hospital in Atlanta. They deal with a lot of gunshot wounds. They deal with a lot of trauma. They deal with everything. It's downtown. They've seen it fucking all. Like if you're born in Grady, you are Atlanta to your core forever. I almost low key just want to have my kid at Grady because one, it'll probably be cheaper. And two, at least they're not going to like put all these extra frills around me to try and make as much money as possible because they're busy. They're about their business. And I feel like they don't really give a fuck as long as you're good. They'll make sure you're good. And then they're going to move on because somebody just got shot and they need to go see that person. So anyway, this hospital was not great. It was the polar opposite, and I regret going there. My friend took me. I was having stomach pains. I thought I was maybe my kidney was exploding or something like that. It wasn't. I was fine. But beyond a few situations like that, I've never really had to interact that much with how medical expenses are charged. And because most people have insurance, and that's how the system is set up, Doctors and hospitals, they're pretty much just allowed to write bills or write checks back to themselves. Like they're, they get to kind of just make up whatever they want to charge. And it's not like when you walk in to a hospital or a doctor's office, unless you're getting like some kind of plastic surgery or something like that. And I'm not talking about plastic surgery here. I'm talking about 
like real medical attention you might need throughout your lifetime. When you walk into to a standard doctor's office or a hospital, there is no price list. There's no set cost for really anything. It's just kind of like you walk in blindfolded and if you need help or if you're in a situation in your life that you need a doctor, you kind of just have to hope for the best. And, you know, pregnancy is slightly different because you can shop around. It's not like you find out you're pregnant and you're giving birth tomorrow. You have some time. There's a cushion to figure out what works best for you. But even within that, like my hospital told me $5,000 and I've, I'm already on pace to spend much, much more. Thank God I haven't given them the 5,000 yet. It's due in three weeks. And I, that's, I think why I want to drop out before, to be honest, because on top of that, apparently the hospital charges separately. So I started researching what the average hospital bill is for labor and childbirth in America and then specifically in Georgia. And in Georgia, which is this is about average nationwide, it's about $15,000 that the hospital charges you for having a kid in their hospital. And that's without any major situations. There was one situation And I apologize. I don't think I said this on this episode. There were a few things I said on the last recording that I did this morning. I'm like, I'm having like mental issues. I'm going to blame pregnancy brain. I'm like, did I say that now or did I say that this morning? But I think I said it this morning. There was a, there was a family that I was reading some forums as I've been reading recently to just research beyond what is being told to me and like hear from people who've experienced this shit firsthand. There was a family that was billed $1.5 million because their child was born a little bit premature or something. There was some minor issue. Thankfully, the child was okay, but they had to spend about two weeks in the NICU, the ward for, you know, babies that need extra attention. And the hospital billed the family $1.5 million for that which is so beyond comprehension that it, that it almost, when you accept that that's the way the system is set up, I mean, thankfully the family had insurance, but people get hit with these bills sometimes and you're going to the hospital because you don't know what's going to happen for the most part, because you, you need somebody that can help you through an unprecedented sometimes a scary and traumatic situation like for example childbirth you pray that you're not going to need any interventions but if you do you go like you're you're there hoping for the best and expecting the worst pretty much and sometimes the worst can just be it's so expensive and even with health insurance I mean a lot of the times the deductible is really high which means that your deductible is pretty much the amount of money you have to spend before the health insurance will actually start covering your expenses. So one insurance I was looking at that is like said it was like good for pregnancy and whatever, the deductible was $15,000. So I would have to spend $15,000 before my insurance even started covering me. And I'm still paying for insurance out of pocket every month, a couple hundred dollars, and they still aren't going to cover everything, you know, depending on what they cover. Like that's really expensive and it's, it's a scary situation to be in. I mean, every, everything in this world, everything in this country is a business. So I really shouldn't be surprised, but I think what I am surprised at is 
I guess I just thought like pregnancy would be different because it seems like the birth rate is really low. It seems like, I mean, it seems like the government wants people to have kids. They're literally in the process of repealing Roe versus Wade. And some states are making contraception potentially, you know, illegal. It seems like they're on a path of, of forcing people to have more kids. But then when you do have a kid, there is virtually like not a lot of resources for you. And it's it's a scary thing. And I feel that if I continue on this path of this traditional medical route, not only will I get broke, but I think it's, I just feel like it's going to make me sicker because even beyond the glucose test, which is understandable. And I, you know, I might do it if I feel for some reason that I should, but I think I'm about 98% sure I'm going to opt out of it because it's probably going to be another $1,000 and they're going to tell me, oh, you're actually healthy. And it's like, I knew I was healthy. But beyond that, there's so many other things that they want you to do now that they, I mean, when I say they, I mean doctors, whatever. It just wasn't required 20, 30 years ago when our parents were pregnant. Like when my mom had me, there were never any mandatory or extremely suggested pregnancy vaccines there was never a lot of this stuff that is very in a very heavy-handed way recommended now like for example my doctor also on the schedule it says you know get the Tdap vaccine administer Tdap vaccine administer all these other injections and I started researching and I'm like okay well Tdap that's pretty much a booster for tetanus and pertussis so whooping cough and other diseases that you're vaccinated against as a kid. And I've been vaccinated for all of those, you know, whether I wanted to be or not, I am. And I mean, I do believe in like those standard vaccines for the most part. There's a lot to be said though about pertussis. One second. It seems like a lot of kids who get that vaccine get really bad whooping cough, but I don't know. I mean, you can't causation doesn't blah, 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 whatever. Um, sorry to upset the super pro vaccine community, but, um, I have all those vaccines and they tested for my immunity to everything and then it came out normal. So I'm like, why, why (laughs) they like, why, why do I need this? And the answer is that your infant needs some protection and the, the immunity transfers to your newborn. But then Apparently, it doesn't actually transfer to the newborn because as soon as your baby is born, literally an hour after birth, they start your baby now on a vaccine schedule that includes like something like 72 vaccines. That's insane to me. One of the first vaccines they give to newborns is hepatitis B, which is a sexually transmitted disease, which is how the fuck is a newborn going to get hepatitis B? Like, what are they what? It makes no sense. And maybe if the mother had hepatitis B, maybe there's an argument to be made there, but there's no time like in pregnancy, it would be so hard to have an STD and not know because not only are you tested and screened for every STD under the sun multiple times throughout your pregnancy, But also every time I even go to my OBGYN place, they take my urine, like they test it for everything. There's, it would be so hard. I literally have to pee in a cup every time I go so they can run tests. Like it would be so, and I go like almost every week and I'm a low risk pregnancy. 
it would be so hard to get an STD while you're pregnant and not know. Like there is not a time in your life where you'll be more certain about your STD status than when you're pregnant, if you're going to a doctor. And even if you're not, you're probably still going to have to get tested. Like it just makes so little sense to me when I actually start looking at the schedule that they force you in when you're pregnant and when you have a new, like with your newborn. And a lot of it is this kind of blackmailing fear approach of, well, your baby could die or don't you want to know you, you could get really sick and all this stuff. And it gives me so much anxiety because I know that I'm healthy and I just, that's the thing that I guess I want to talk about today. I don't really know how to broach this subject because I think when we talk about health, when we talk about wellness, when we talk about food, food from like the fact that food is also medicine, food is also important in maintaining your health. Food is something that is inevitable in this fucking life. When we talk about these things though, I think it can sound a little prescriptive and I think it can sound a little detached from reality because not only is everyone different? I mean, we all have different blood types. We all have different genetics. We all have different allergies. We all have different routines. Like already we're coming from a place of like, there's legit, like there's not going to be anything that works for everyone. So already we're coming from like a disjointed place of information where anyone who's branding something as, you know, a one-stop shop to health is full of shit. So already I'm like, well, what the fuck? can I say about this? Plus there's also, oh my God, I keep doing this. You guys halfway through my sentence, I literally like forget what I'm going to say. This has never happened to me before. I blame, like, I actually think this is what pregnancy brain, brain is, but there's also, I guess I'll just say this. This is why editing could be really helpful. I'm going to figure that out soon, but there's also the whole ethos around health and wellness and all these different positions that I think people have taken and how it's evolved over the last decade that like I've been an adult and I've witnessed it change. And a lot of the mentalities and the ideologies that have become very popular popularized within health and wellness, I think are very extreme. And I think like they're toxic In some ways, I mean, for example, you know, veganism or any sort of like paleo, anything that just is not a realistic diet if you're actually going to be a citizen of the world. Like it's, it's not, it's not something that you can do forever without extremely limiting yourself in your life experience and also extremely limiting the nutrients that you get. And that's why... Not only, I think, are so many people turned off by discussions about health and wellness. Let me even actually take the word wellness out of this because I think that word is just kind of a bullshitty word that has been trendy, but it it almost became so trendy it really means nothing. So let me just focus on health. I think a lot of people are put off by the idea of health, not only because it's been branded and like reclaimed by so many insufferable people, but also because there's so many misconceptions around it. And it's almost like, where do you even begin? And I, 
that's why like I have so much hesitation to talk about this stuff, even though I was literally a food writer for like five years. And before I was a food writer, like I've always been very interested in food. It's always been one of the main focuses of my life. And I'm grateful that I've had experiences in my childhood that I think led me down this path of like when I would go to Poland every summer my grandma had her own farm and she would force me to help her kill chickens and I would and pigs and we would make pork sausages kielbasa that my mom would then smuggle back from Poland to Canada um, which was very embarrassing but it's fine watching your mother wrap sausages in like t-shirts at the airport is something that I don't wish on any (laughs) eight-year-old but because I was able to see like how people lived from the land before it was a trendy thing and before it was like a health fad, really. Um, For me, healthy food or kind of a healthy lifestyle was just life in my mind when I was a kid, you know, before your mind gets polluted, but that was just normal. And so I never had a separation between like unhealthy food and healthy food for me like healthy food was just food that's just like what we ate and my mom always like in Vancouver would make a point even though she didn't have a lot of money she would always say like if there's one thing you're going to spend money on Claudia in your life it should be food like don't skimp on good food and she would always buy like we never didn't have it was never like oh everything has to be low fat and organic and whatever but she would actually you know go to the farmer's market and I remember she would like bargain with the farmer's market guy and they would give her like bags of produce for so cheap and we always had just I mean if I wanted a donut or whatever my mom I was kind of a fat kid too I always wanted donuts and everything I mean the food pyramid back in the day when they said you could have like 10 to 15 servings of grains or whatever it was and that was healthy that was like my dream come true as a fat little seven-year-old But she would just always, we always had good food. We would go to, you know, fresh markets. She would get free range chicken. There would be beautiful sourdough. Like there would always be hummus and Greek salads and real food. And my dad, who was raised in a more North American household, like a low, low income North American household was used to like Velveeta cheese and like packaged soups and KFC that was a big one that we would always get as takeout but it was never like any unhealthy foods were off limits I could have whatever I wanted just you know depending on who did the grocery shopping that week but eating well was like standard practice and for that I'm eternally grateful because I think it gave me an appreciation not only of food but like how health and food are so intrinsically linked And I'm realizing as I get older that not everyone had that. Like, for example, I was cooking with a friend of mine a few weeks ago and I got garlic, you know, fresh garlic that everyone I thought used to cook. And she was like, how do you even use this? Like, I've only ever used the stuff that comes in the cans that's already pre-minced, which it's not even crazy to me. I kind of love learning stuff like that because I love hearing about like other people's food experiences when they were growing up. I love hearing about just stories like that and how we've had such like people have had such different experiences. Um, 
I'm so sorry, you guys. I'm going to have to learn how to edit. But it's just not everyone has had those experiences of like picking a carrot out of the ground and like snacking on raspberries from like a raspberry bush and not being like, this is, you know, healthy food. This is just normal food. And so as I have become an adult, even though I've flirted with periods of my life where I've been extremely unhealthy, like a cocaine fucking, I don't want to say addict. I'm so eternally grateful that I never really struggled with addiction despite I me doing so many substances when I was younger for that like I'm so grateful um there's just for my genes for someone looking out of like I for whatever reason I mean addiction is something you really can't predict and it can literally get anyone at any time nobody is above it like that's something that I take so seriously and I've seen how it affects people you know, when I was younger, how it affects people now, I've seen how much denial can come around it. It's just, that's a whole other subject, but I've been so unhealthy in my life, like literally doing lines of cocaine when I was 18 and 17, you know, in high school and then passing out in front of my dorm in college and blacking out every night and smoking a pack of cigarettes a day and having fucking chest pains when I was 20 years old for no other reason except the fact that I was just extremely unhealthy to even gaining... One summer I gained 40 pounds because I was depressed. Like, that's not healthy. I'm not laughing at anyone who might be in a situation like that, but I'm laughing at myself then because, like, I was very unhealthy. I was very mentally unhealthy, and I was very physically unhealthy. And I'm almost, in a way happy I went through those phases then because I just think that I at least now know enough to know I'd never want to go back there again I never want to feel like that again again you never know where life is going to take you so I will always humble myself and be like you never know it, it could always be you like I always feel that even though I have this house now and even though my life is relatively good. My life is great. I'm so grateful. I always feel like I could be that person again that's like sleeping on my friend's floor. Like you, you, I could always go back to that person that's doing lines of coke in a fucking bathroom stall. Like you just don't know where it's going to go. You, we don't know. And you can have some sense of confidence of knowing who you are the older you get and being confident in the decisions that you're able to make for yourself in the life you're building. And we have like self-control. So it's not like we're just spinning around aimlessly every day. Like, fuck, I don't know where it's going to go. Hope I don't do heroin today. But for the most part, like sometimes life really punches you in the gut and you don't know. So let me not say like, oh, I'm so healthy and I've never struggled with addiction and blah, blah, blah. That's not the point of this. The point is like, I've been through some really unhealthy phases in my life and now I'm 30 and somehow through some grace of God and also I believe my own knowledge of taking care of myself, I've been able to like maintain a pretty high level of health. Like, I mean, there literally was nothing, every, everything, they, I just got tested for every disease under the sun. I thought there was definitely going to be something wrong I was like there has to be or there's going to be something with my blood there's going to be something I mean we're taught now that like I mean have you guys heard about 
adult sudden adult death syndrome that's happening now that healthy adults are allegedly just dropping dead they're telling everyone under 40 to go get their hearts checked first of all healthy people don't just drop dead and die i i believe people are more or less naturally healthy like genetics obviously play a role but our environment plays a bigger role and the things we put into our body play an even bigger role and I have just lived in a way, at least for the last, I would say, eight years, 10 years, I'll say eight, because the the first 20 and 21 there, <laughs> it really could have gone anyway. Um, but for the last almost decade, where I've been pretty conscious of the things that I've put into my body, and I have some level of confidence that going forward as I get older, I know how to maintain a base level of health. And what worries me is that when I look around sometimes, even when I go to the doctor's office and I hear their recommendations of the things that they think I should be doing to maintain my health, which is pretty much fucking nothing except taking all these tests and all of these injections that make no sense to me anyways, I can't find any reason to take them if you're healthy, that I feel like a lot of people have a very misconstrued idea of what health is and how to maintain it. And I'm not saying I'm not a fucking wellness guru. I understand, but it frustrates me when we're still being told so much wrong information around health. And I do feel like I have a level of understanding about this subject that is deeper than most people because I was a food writer for a really long time because I have been really passionate about this stuff for a really long time. And even though I've been really hesitant to speak about it because I know how off-putting it can be to some people, not only the discussion about discussions about health, but like specifically diet, it can be so intimidating and discouraging. And I think like so many people that are in this field, specifically nutritionists, I see so many people like this on TikTok, so many young nutritionists that say, you know, well, every food is good and just listen to your body and and don't limit yourself. And, you know, there's no such thing as bad foods. Even Coca-Cola has can be good for you. And I just think that advice is so fucking stupid. And it's so, it's so full of shit. But it's also like we need to stop congratulating people on being unhealthy. Like Coca-Cola is not good for you. Everybody knows that. Even if you like for some reason think that Diet Coke is healthy, it's still really bad for you. Even if like just the caramel color, just that alone causes fucking cancer and then add in the million other things they're putting in there. Like what are we doing when we're saying all food is good food because it's not? And I know that that's a really abrasive statement to make. And I understand that there's a level of classism where like not everyone can afford healthy food. But I do believe that if you look and if you educate yourself, we shouldn't also feed into this idea that eating healthy has to be really expensive. And for the purposes of this rant, I want to remove, you know, any discussions about class and economics too, like, I I don't want to focus on that because I think if you, and this is, this is where I start venturing into territory where I know I sound like a fucking asshole. So I don't want to sound like that, but 
there are ways to eat better without spending a lot of money. You don't have to go to Whole Foods and buy everything organic to eat healthy. You don't have to hate everything that's on your plate and think it's so boring and bland and awful to eat healthy. You don't have to order, you know, only salads and dry vegetables to be healthy. Like often it's more about where the ingredients are coming from and how they're cooked, in my opinion. So while I've just ranted in a bunch of circles and I haven't really given anyone any concrete advice, let me give some advice if I can. Let's take a standard healthy meal, okay? One that is really popular right now. I always see like this salmon rice bowl. Oh my God, my eye, you guys, right now is twitching so much. I don't know why my eye is saying like, Claudia, get off this subject. But so weird. I don't know why my eye never twitches like this. Oh, thank God we're not doing video. Anyway, (laughs) but take a salmon rice bowl. Okay, let's get back. Let's get back to business, baby. You take your standard salmon rice bowl. Where to begin? Let's begin with the salmon. First of all, everybody knows what salmon looks like. Usually the salmon that most people buy at the supermarket or wherever you get your fish from, everybody loves that salmon with the big fat white stripes of, you know, allegedly good fats because fish fat is good for us. We all know everybody needs their omega-3s. And here's where the fantasy comes crashing down. First of all, that farmed salmon, that's how farmed salmon looks with the super big chunks of white fat. That's how you know salmon is farmed. Not only is it high in PCBs, in all of these contaminants that they're feeding the fish so that they can keep them in really cramped cages like antibiotics, all of these things so that they don't develop serious diseases and infections. And often a lot of the fish still do develop these infections and either they cut those infections off the scales or they sell them anyways or whatever. But farmed fish are kept in very small confined crates. They breed a lot of them because the more fish there are, the more money there is for the fish companies, fish, them fishermen, I guess, because they're still fishermen if it's farmed, but Anyway, more fish, more money. Very simple. The fat is full of antibiotics, endocrine disruptors, shit that is not good for you in high doses. Obviously, the the dosage makes the toxin. I I, I do believe that. I don't think you can walk around being scared of every chemical that you see or read. You know, health nuts that read packages and they're like, don't buy anything you can't pronounce. Well, sometimes the things you can't pronounce are, it's just basic chemistry. You just aren't a chemist or you're not a scientist. So you don't know like what, whatever, like chem, I can't think of a single compound right now off the top of my head is, but it's not always going to kill you. And sometimes even the toxic things in low doses, you know, it's fine, but When you're eating that stuff every day or very regularly, there should be a concern. And there are way better options like wild fish, like wild salmon, whether you're getting like coho or sockeye 
or whatever. I mean, I'm probably going to sound so West Coast here, but when I first moved to Atlanta, I was so shocked that like there was, I couldn't find any wild fish, even the wild fish at Whole Foods and at Trader Joe's. It was really bad because no one would buy it. Everyone was just buying the farm fish. So all the wild fish would be sitting out forever and it would just smell fishy which fish isn't supposed to smell fishy most fish isn't even supposed to smell like fish you guys when it's when it's fresh but anyway let me digress so we have the problem with the with the farmed salmon right don't try not to buy it buy wild fish if you can please not you don't have to do it all the time but once in a while just don't walk around with the delusion that farmed fish is good for you it's it's not there's levels to it some is better than others but for the most part it's not the best thing to be buying all the time it's not the best thing to be eating regularly okay Next, you take your fish home, you season it, hopefully, and then you cook it. And you're probably either going to use an air fryer or a nonstick skillet to cook your salmon. Both of those things are so, those things are like, they just, it hurts me every time I see someone who's like, I use my air fryer every day. I love it. It's just, it literally pains my soul because it's like, first of all, there's no cheat codes to this shit, okay? There's no, there's no cheat codes. And if we were supposed to be, like, we're just not supposed to be eating fried foods every day. It's not healthy. And don't think that some manufacturer just gamed the system and made an alternative to frying foods that is now perfectly healthy. It's not. It comes, of course, with a different set of health problems, but they are just as serious, if not worse, in my opinion. So the air fryer, what is it made of? Plastic or nonstick Teflon. One of the two, a mix of the two, it is some kind of plastic contraption. Usually it's all black. Sometimes the outside they come in a bunch of dumbass colors that they all piss me off. But, you know, it's a black big hunk of plastic. You heat it to a very high temperature. You throw your salmon, you throw your dinner in there, you close the door and you let that food bake and sizzle in this hot ass plastic bath. How does that sound to you? What do you think happens to plastic when it gets heated up? What do you think happens to anything when it gets heated up? It releases whatever is inside of it. It releases whatever, like whatever polymer, whatever compounds, whatever chemicals. Of course, this plastic is designed to withstand very high heat, but I can guarantee you that it's still releasing some shit, some fumes. It's it's not glass. It's not like it's being heated to a very high heat. You're using this every day to cook your food in a very confined space. All of that shit that's in your plastic box of hell cooking is all going into your food. It's not a healthy way of cooking. It would be much healthier to just fry whatever you're frying in some butter, lard, avocado oil, literally anything else would probably, well, not anything, but most things would be better. And I, uh, I hate, I hate the air fryer. I absolutely hate it. Oh my goodness. One second, you guys.
I'm so sorry. Someone was knocking on my door. I'm going to try and edit that out. But if I don't, I apologize. Anyway, cooking the salmon real quick. If you don't use your air fryer, you're going to use a nonstick pan. Nonstick pans, I'm not going to get into it too much because I think I've talked about this before and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but read what happened to DuPont and Teflon and the cancers that it caused and the giant class action lawsuit, one of the biggest class, class action lawsuits that's ever been filed in history. Read about what happened to it on The Intercept, theintercept.com. They have a very good series about it. And all I'm going to say is that if you are still using Teflon, if you are still using nonstick pans because you believe it's healthier, because you use less oil, because you believe it's more convenient since it's easier to clean, all of these factors, please throw all that shit away. Like, please, if there's literally anything you take from me in my entire career of this podcast or in general, let it be to not use nonstick pans. It's like cooking your food in toxic waste it's so bad for you and I don't care that now they say they're healthier I don't care that it's more convenient I don't care that it's easier to find I think it's a problem that when you go shopping for cookware now practically everything is non-stick and people are just not informed about how dangerous this shit is but please god throw your non-stick pans away like already the chemical that DuPont created to make Teflon is in over 99% of living organisms and it didn't, didn't exist a few decades ago and it's cancerous, okay? And it bio, it doesn't biodegrade, it like compounds in your body. It bioaccumulates. So already we're dealing with that, right? We all have this shit in our bloodstreams and our body. It's inevitable. It's inevitable once you live in the world. It's literally in, in babies like in the womb, it's in newborns, it's in everything. You can't avoid it, but you can minimize your exposure to it. And when I see people still cooking with the fucking Teflon pans, I just want to scream. So please stop cooking with it. And anyway, how this all relates to health is we think we're being healthy very often and we're not. And I'm guilty of this too. I used to eat brown rice because I thought that was healthier for you. It's not. First of all, brown rice is like covered in, what is, the, what is it? I think there's like cyanide or something in brown rice. I don't remember exactly what toxic chemical or like natural. I mean, this is a natural chemical, but it's a, it's a toxin. It's a carcinogen. It can kill you if you have too much of it. One of those is in brown rice. Also, it's harder to digest. There's a reason why all of Asia eats white rice. Like they've been eating rice for a long time. They've subsisted off rice as a large part of their diet for a long ass time. Okay. Way longer than the fucking vegan sushi restaurant has been open serving brown rice. Eat the white rice. Stop eating the brown rice. Even whole grains since we're on this subject. Like I used to believe that... I was like, remember when the whole Got Milk campaign was happening? And when we were growing up, our parents, at least my parents, really believed in drinking milk. I mean, back in Poland, like my grandma had dairy cows. There was always fresh milk. Milk is a really, really big part. Dairy is a really big part of like Eastern European culture. I think I'm not lactose intolerant. I'm like one of the three people on earth, the 3% of people on earth that's literally not lactose intolerant because my generations of my family members just had to survive pretty much off of dairy and milk for so long but it's just such a big dairy was such a 
big part of my childhood and growing up. And then once I started to get a little bit older, when I started to become a teenager, there was this idea that cow's milk is actually really bad for you for the most part. Um, not only like, does it, you know, we all heard this, it, it was acidic, it was cancerous. It was only like, it was disgusting that we're drinking, you know, the milk of another animal when we're the only, you know, mammals in the world that do that. I mean, we're the only mammals in the world that do a lot of things if we're going to make that argument, but I don't even know how I feel about drinking copious amounts of milk, milk as an adult. I don't think it's the best idea because we live in a developed society now where the nutrients you can get from milk, a lot of them you can get from other sources. And there are certain growth components of milk that aren't great in large amounts for adults. I do think there's a time and a place for milk though. And I don't think it should be like completely demonized. And I think like dairy, good dairy can be great. I think like yogurt, goat's milk, different types of cheeses, like not only are, can, can they be healthy? I mean, even Parmesan cheese, there's a amino acid in it. Fuck. What is it called? Let me find this amino acid. Is it lysine? Yes. Lysine. Um, it's an, 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 an amino acid that's pretty hard to find in most foods. It's very high in Parmesan cheese and it's like a building block of cells in your body. It's very important. You know, there's a way to enjoy these foods that I think is not only healthy, but I think it's like good for your soul. Like a, a life without any dairy products. I don't care what vegan tells you that like it's better. I, I want to believe Dr. Sebi when he follows his whole pH balanced, non-acidic diet and all that stuff. But me personally, I just believe that there are a lot of nutrients especially micronutrients and things that are not as focused on in conventional nutrition that actually can be gained from these types of foods. However, when we were indoctrinated after, remember that whole got milk campaign. And then there was this idea that like milk is really bad for you. And there was this whole wave of first, it was kind of almond milk and coconut milk and then oat milk and every alternative milk. And now the alternative milk market is like almost, I don't know if it, I don't think it's bigger than the dairy market, but it's on the way to getting bigger. People have been not drinking as much milk for years. And one of the main things that I heard during this like crossover, this like power shift from dairy to non-dairy milks was that, well, America drinks the most amount of milk in the world and they have the highest rates of osteoporosis. And I took that information and I ran with it and I'm like, true that's true like we must be doing something wrong milk must be really bad for us it must be leaching calcium from our bones this must have been one of those big government nutrient campaigns nutrient campaigns food campaigns that there were lobbyists involved there was a lot of money involved and to some degree it was if you look at the history of you know milk in America, if you look at the history of milk lobbyists and the campaigns and everything, there's the shit goes really, really deep, not just in America, in Canada, in a lot of places like milk is a big business. But when you look further into that idea that like milk gives you osteoporosis, you also confront the fact that whole grains also cause your bones to leach calcium and prevent the absorption of calcium. And often when we have our milk, 
we have it with cereal or toast or like cookies or fucking, I mean, wheat and bread is practically in everything. So everyone's body is different also when it comes to absorbing something like a dairy product. But the idea that whole grains are really good for you is very misguided. Just that in itself. And that's one of the biggest leading concepts of health today still. I'm not saying there aren't some whole grains that are better than others and some ancient, ancient grains that I think are like just dope and I think they're delicious and I think it's like an important food to continue harvesting and expanding, but most whole grains here are not, it's not something that should be the basis of your diet. I don't know. I would pick a good loaf of sourdough with some organic wheat that hasn't been overly processed any day just because of the way that your body is going to absorb it and the fact that it's complicated man it's complicated but I mean even the way your blood sugar is going to react to it if you pair it with like some butter understanding the glycemic index is very important when it comes to health but where do I even want to let this rest where do I even want to let this rest see this is why I've been so hesitant to touch on on this subject because I'm not a doctor I'm not a wellness guru and I have no interest in being one but I do have an interest in like making people excited about food not in a corny way but in a way that I just believe that like not only is food an inevitable part of all of our lives but There's a lot of misunderstandings around food, a lot, and it's not like I know everything, but I know enough to know that we have it wrong. I know enough to know that we don't know, I I, I guess, but essentially, like, if anyone is kind of listening to this and just completely at a loss, I think a really good place to start is like cooking and this sounds so boring you guys and I I apologize but this is I think probably the best place to start and you'll probably save some money I mean unless you're going to Wendy's and getting four for fours every day and that's all you're surviving off of cooking at home is cheaper than ordering DoorDash or Uber Eats or going out to eat and cooking at home is probably one of the best paths to health one of the most affordable, one of the most effective. When you order food, you don't know, first of all, my biggest fear, I don't know what it's cooked in. And I always think about that. And I hope you guys will be more mindful about it now too. By the way, really good alternatives are, there are glass um, convection ovens. They're kind of like glass air fryers. Make sure that it's only, if there's, if it's anything, if there's any other parts inside, make sure they're stainless steel, make sure they're real stainless steel, not some cheap crap. Sometimes they put other cheap metals, make sure it's real stainless steel. Or you can use like a pan that's stainless steel. Again, make sure it's real. Sometimes they use cheap aluminum, stuff like that. And that can also be bad. But if you're buying from like a certified place, make sure you're using stain- like just real stainless. Or there's ceramic like Le Creuset, which is my favorite cooking line. It's really expensive and made in France. But there are alternatives to that. Just make sure it's a good ceramic. I would avoid things that are like made in China, to be honest, unless you kind of know 
like the manufacturer and you can see that it's lead free and free of all this other stuff but stainless ceramic and glass are all really good options so I forgot to add that in after I went on my little rant but anyway cooking at home first of all you can control what you're cooking your food in so already you're increasing your health by like a thousand percent I mean I would literally rather eat a hot pocket cooked oh and also cast iron is an amazing amazing if you don't have a cast iron pan please go out and get one they're $19 at Walmart okay go out and get a cast iron pan it will last you a lifetime it's $19 and it makes your food taste better it transfers iron into your food that's something that is good for you versus cancerous chemicals it's just go get a cast iron pan I literally make everything in cast iron sometimes I even make eggs in cast iron I don't care it's easier to clean. It's, it is the best. But anyway, when you're cooking at home, you know what your shit is cooked in. Like I would literally rather eat a fucking hot pocket cooked in cast iron than like a stew that is supposed to be healthy or some soup that's been simmering in a nonstick Teflon pan all day. That's just, oh, my heart breaks for that situation. Honestly, I know this is going to sound very disconnected from reality, but anyway, Also, you are able to control what's in your food and you realize when you're cooking from home, you'll probably, even if you don't lose weight, I don't think that should necessarily be the goal unless you're overweight, but like you will feel better. You'll feel better and you'll learn to trust yourself more, not only in the kitchen, but just about where your food is coming from. Like I realized recently, it's such a weird disconnect that we have As I've started planting this little garden, I have some tomatoes and I planted some cucumbers and different types of lettuce. And I'm also doing wild strawberries, but the wild strawberries, they're still in the freezer because I have to like germinate. It's a whole fucking process. But anyway, I realize as I'm, you know, buying these planters and soil and I didn't get any fertilizer because I don't know, maybe I should, but whatever. As I'm doing all this, I'm realizing I'm like, wait, is this going to be safe to eat? And I'm literally buying like the healthiest soil, like all organic, allegedly, you know, I'm seeing everything there and I'm like, wait, are my vegetables going to be safe to eat? I don't really know what I'm doing. And then I'm realizing like, Claudia, this is so much safer than buying something from the store. Like not to say the store is a, you need to go to the store too, but like when you buy a tomato from the store, you don't really know where that tomato came from. You don't really know what they sprayed on on it. You don't really know the soil that they used or what else was it. Like, you don't know. So we have this disconnect. And then we, I think I'm speaking from my own personal experience, this, this distrust of our own autonomy and like ability to provide for ourselves because for so long we've been so disconnected in this food system where we just go to the store we get the food and we bring it home and when it comes to making our own food it's daunting and there's a fear of like almost like poisoning yourself or like doing something wrong but once you can learn to trust yourself gardening is different obviously but just in general it's so much better for you. So I think that's just a good place to start. Obviously, learn what works for your body. There's no one-size diet, one-size-fits-all thing. But how can I summarize this? I think when you begin to educate yourself about different micronutrients, amino acids, Things like that, I think sometimes your understanding of food can 
deepen. And I think your understanding of your own cravings and like why you are hungry sometimes and why you want certain things deepens. And I think that that's a really great place to arrive at when it comes to learning about food. Like my, let's take this for example, my discovery of lysine and Parmesan cheese. Like that's cool to me. So I know that my body was probably low in like that, some form of amino acid like that because I was craving Parmesan so much, or maybe it was the salt or something like that. But you can start to unpack this stuff and maybe for some people it's really boring, but for me, food is the most important thing in our lives besides like water and air and like, you know, some level of love and community that I think it's worth investigating even to a small extent sometimes. Okay, last thing even, like also in terms of Parmesan cheese, it's interesting, like it actually has no lactose in it and lactose is what makes people lactose intolerant, but the way that it's processed, the way that it's aged, it eliminates all the lactose. So lactose intolerant people can eat Parmesan cheese. That's cool to know. I mean, I learned that in Parma in Italy, that which I'll never forget that fact because it was dope that I was like in a factory there making Parmigiano Reggiano and I'm, that was cool, but like, that's something that I, like you can eat cheese even though you're lactose intolerant. That's fire to me. Even something like eggs, like vegans who always talk about how they're perfectly healthy without, you know, animal products. Something like eggs is, is it's interesting to me, like especially now during pregnancy because choline is such an important part of brain development and brain function. And choline is one of the, like it's eggs are one of the highest sources of choline. The other sources of choline are, it's not really common foods. It's like animal livers and things like that. Things that I don't personally like to eat a lot of because it's really hard to find high quality animal organ meats. Like I would not eat a conventionally raised chicken or beef liver. I just, there's so many, there's so much shit that's going to be in that. But anyway, So like choline is really important or milk. Like if you're really craving milk, it might not be the calcium. It might be because milk is really high in iodine. It's, there's so many levels to it. And I think that I'm going to stop talking about this now, but for anyone who might still be listening, all I can say is cook at home, use good cookware, buy real food. Not all food is good food. Sorry. Um, every food is worth eating, but not every food is worth including as a main staple in your diet. I I'll eat anything. I'll eat cheese. It's and pop tarts and hot pockets. I don't care, but I know that those should not be staples. And I think that that's a good place to arrive at when it comes to food. I don't think you should be scared of anything. I don't think you should say no to anything if you want to try it, if you're craving it. But I think there needs to be an understanding and an acceptance of like the fact that health doesn't come from Cheez-Its and the fact that nutritionists who tell you that all food is good food maybe mean well, but they're wrong and they know that. And also that common nutritional advice like eat whole grains or eat brown rice instead is sometimes wrong. And also that alternative nutritional advice, like milk makes your bones leach calcium can also be wrong. So 
is it all confusing? I guess, but is it interesting? I think so. And I think it's worth unpacking more. So maybe I'll get into it more on a future episode, but I mean, the last thing I'm going to say, I'm going to leave it here (laughs) is that all of this stuff can be really expensive and we are in a recession right now. We're in a recession. I mean, I'm dealing with my medical cartel, so that's been very expensive for me, but groceries have obviously become more expensive. I went to Trader Joe's the other day and we spent $260 on like literally basics. The only nice thing I really bought was like a rack of lamb. It was $20, but just when you added everything up, it was every it just everything is becoming expensive. I think unless you are extremely wealthy, you're feeling it. It's hard to not feel it, even if you're not too concerned about the prices that of things that are increasing, you notice it. I've noticed it. That's why I have been doing a lot of grocery shopping at Walmart, which by the way is a really good place to grocery shop in my opinion. I found Manuka honey, which is this really good honey from New Zealand for $16. It's normally like $40 at Whole Foods. I found a bag of a giant bag of frozen sockeye salmon, wild salmon from the U.S., for $20. Um, there's just so much good stuff at Walmart. Shout out to Walmart. I mean, it's, that is even still getting more expensive, but it's slightly better than the other places. But as someone who has lived more or less the majority of my adult life in a state of brokenness while still managing to make it work, (laughs) to really make it work, to live, I guess, above my means, but to make it fucking work, I have some tips I have some tips on how to survive a broke era, okay? And a recession is really a broke era if we're going to break it down. I wish that the Fed would start calling it that. I think globally we are entering our broke era. It's very sad for me, but I guess the timing couldn't be better. I'm very grateful that my stripper era, my stripper era, I can't speak, was before the global broke era. I don't think my stripper era would have been nearly as lit If it had happened around this time, seems like a real shit time to be at a strip club. Seems like a real shit time to be living it up, kind of. Of course, some people are still going to do it. Of course, there are still billionaires in the world. But if you are not a billionaire, I want to give you some tips on surviving this summer, okay? First of all, I know that y'all are not going to want to hear this, but this is not the summer to travel, This is not the summer to be doing a lot of traveling. I was looking at flights from Atlanta to Paris. I was just curious. I'm not planning on doing a lot of traveling this summer, obviously. And the traveling that I am going to be doing is just, it's different. I mean, in some ways, I'm kind of grateful because the main place I really want to go back to, Japan, is still more or less closed for tourists. They just reopened, but apparently tourists that go to Japan need to have a chaperone (laughs) and they need to be masked 24-7 and they need to be with like a public guided tour and it's, 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 Japan is doing a lot. So I'm going to wait for that to cool down. But I was just looking out of curiosity and flights from Atlanta to Paris, usually Atlanta, flying out of Atlanta is pretty cheap. It's a major airport in North America. It's kind of like New York. Flights from New York to Paris, usually pretty cheap. A lot of major hubs to major hubs. You can find flights for pretty affordable prices. I mean, during COVID, you could fly for like $200. But obviously, we're not there anymore. But however, the flights were like $1,600 for economy. 
from major airports to Europe. That's really expensive. And I know that once you get there, once you get to Italy and you're on the beach in fucking Capri or wherever or Portofino, it's not like those hotels and those restaurants and those bars aren't going to be raising their prices to match the fact that they're paying more for their products. Like everything right now is in a state of increasing in price. And if you plan on doing a lot of traveling, I don't think this is the summer to do it. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. My only trip that I really have planned I wish I had a couple more trips planned, but again, it doesn't feel right to be doing it right now, but I'm going to Florida in a couple weeks. I'm very excited, but we're going to be driving because it was cheaper to drive than to fly, and we're just going to the beach. It's going to be so fucking nice, but listen, give yourself something to look forward to, but in terms of major global expeditions, I know it's tempting because the world was pretty much shut down to international travel for the last couple of years and this is the first summer that it's back open so the temptation is high and in some ways it would make sense to travel this year but if you look at it this doesn't this is the best summer to sit your ass in the house I think Uh, there's only prices can only increase so much right until they have to come down right right anyway so I'm hoping that they come down by next summer but next this is not the time to buy anything. Don't buy a house. Don't buy a car right now. It's too uncertain. My car, for example, which is a 2016 Audi, I was curious about trading it in for another Audi and the inventory is so low right now. And also the cost of used cars is actually going up because of the global supply shortages with car parts that a lot of car manufacturers are still dealing with. Audi is still dealing with it. So my car, I thought it was lower than this, but the value of it is has almost stayed the same since I bought it because it's actually slightly increased because there's more demand and there's not enough supply. So unless you really need a car, I wouldn't do it. And unless... I would not buy a house right now. It feels, maybe I'm wrong to say that, and I'm not going to say it with a lot of confidence. Do what makes sense for you if you're spending a lot of money on rent, if you found a beautiful house, if you're in a good place, live your life. I'm not here to tell you what to do. However, it doesn't feel like the right time. Interest rates just went up. The economy is at record high inflation, and the uncertainty of what that might bring to the housing market is scary. I'm scared. I'm hoping that my house continues to increase in value and that I'm good. I hope I don't lose money on this bet that I pretty much made because every investment really is a bet that kind of shows what you believe in, whether or not you want it to be a bet or not. But it's a time, I think, to not make any major purchases if you can avoid it. Also, hmm, what else, what else, what else? I personally have stopped driving as much. That's also been out of circumstance. I haven't been, you know, I haven't needed to drive to work. I haven't really been needing to drive as much as I used to. I used to drive to like different counties and shit. I I haven't been doing that. I've just been keeping it really simple, like doctor's appointments, groceries, meeting up with a few friends. Once in a while, I'll treat myself and just like go somewhere for fun. But I know that sounds so depressing, but I just haven't been 
driving as much. And I honestly think it's been saving me a lot of money. I used to have to fill my tank like at least once a week. I mean, I would usually do it twice a week because I never fill my tank all the way because it scares me um, to have a full tank. But I would be spending like $100 on gas every week and now it would be much more. And I haven't been doing that. So I've just been limiting my transportation as shitty as that might sound. I think it's important to remember that everything is temporary. Sometimes you have to make sacrifices for future you. And I think right now the best sacrifice that any of any of us could make for our future selves is to try and stash some money away, try and live a little bit below our means, adjust your lifestyle. Don't be out here buying a bunch of designer the designers, the designers, all the all the houses, all the fashion houses and everything also are raising their prices. That hasn't been talked about in terms of inflation because I guess Chanel and Van Cleef and Arfels don't really count as necessities in life. However, all of the prices for most designer goods are going up. Balenciaga raised their prices again. I'm so upset. This necklace I really wanted from Van Cleef and Arfels. It was going to be my first Van Cleef piece. I'm so upset. Um, they just raised their, it was just raised by like $500. I should have just bought it when I wanted to buy it, but that's my my mistake. But anyway, this is not the time to be buying a bunch of designer and flexing on Instagram. Okay. Even if you really want to do it, Instagram is kind of over. I think, I think the flexing era is dead. I might be saying that from a place of like aging, but this might be my next subject because I've spent so much of my life so consumed by Instagram, so consumed by flexing on Instagram, so consumed by like hip hop, which I think bleeds into that culture of like, there was a time where hip hop was just running Instagram or maybe I should say Instagram was running hip hop. That might be more appropriate, but you know, the bust down watches, the designer bags, all of it. Like arguably it's one of the reasons why I, I fell in love with Atlanta because I came here and I was like, damn, I finally found my people. Like I don't feel like a, I don't feel, you know, tacky. I don't feel like a fish out of water. I feel like understood. And I feel like these are my people. Like I like it here. I like the culture here, but, and I still love Atlanta. That's separate. But I just think the culture of flexing for Instagram is very rapidly dying. And I'm watching people like flail and try to adjust to this new culture, which is very like more TikTok dominant, I guess. And there is still a culture of flexing there, but whatever. But mostly when I say people, I'm, I mean, artists like up and coming artists, because the way to get hot before was like post a lot on Instagram, show people your flashy lifestyle, all this stuff. And I just don't see that working in the way it used to be. Like, obviously, you know, I just listened to Axe podcast academics with Adam 22, and they talked about how the clout era is over for hip hop, I couldn't agree more. But with that, I think the death of social media flexing is upon us. And if you are still spending thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on designer and you don't own a house, you look dumb and it's done. Okay. I'm sorry. What did Kanye say? I went to Jacob with 25 thou before I had a house and I'll do it again. Listen, same. Well, not really. I never really had 25000 to drop on jewelry. Well, I did, but I, I bought a house. But I spent a lot of money in smaller increments before, and I wasted a lot of money on dumb shit. 
and I'm not mad at myself. I was young and I was having fun, but it's not, don't go, don't be out here buying a bunch of designer right now. It's put your money away. Okay. Because I don't know. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Food seems to only be increasing. Fuel seems to only be increasing. And in a state like this, I think it's smart to just chill the fuck out and stash some money away. Whether you stash it in cash at the bank or you buy gold or you buy crypto. I mean, it's really down right now. It could be a good investment. I don't know. This is not financial advice, but wherever you put it, just have some fucking money in your pocket just in case. Okay. My last tip, if this counts as a tip, like I said before, I went to Trader Joe's to buy groceries and it cost $260 for basics. Yes, I bought a lot of stuff, but nothing crazy. And usually Trader Joe's is one of the more affordable places to buy groceries, in my opinion, at least, you know, relatively healthy, like groceries, good produce, all that. And it was very expensive. So it was pretty much the cost of a pair of designer sunglasses, to be honest with you. So I'm going to, I'm going to flip the tables here. I'm going to throw everybody a wild card. If you have a sugar daddy and you used to tell him, you know, take me to the mall and I want this and I want that without being desperate about it. And there is something kind of weird about people. Like maybe if your sugar daddy is with you at the grocery store, that might be, it might feel like kind of a, yeah, it might be fine. I guess it depends on your guys's relationship, but take them, take them on an errand run instead. Do all of your most expensive errands in one go. Okay. I'm talking highlights, groceries. Like I when I say highlights, I mean hair, like nails, everything, you probably will end up spending $800 and it will be their money and not yours. And then you can still ask for money after. So that's my financial tip of the day. Take your sugar daddy to the grocery store. Fuck Chanel, not fuck Chanel, but just don't be out here buying designer right now. And that's all. Good luck, everybody.